From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Interviews, news, and views. You're listening to State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, we're rolling into Hour 2 of State of the Nation here. I'm Brian McLean, broadcasting live out of Central Texas. I'm joined by Steve Hook. He's live out of New Jersey. And uh, Steve, I got to mention this one. I saw, Spore and I saw, a UFO not too long ago here in Texas. At least, to me, it was a UFO. Of course, uh, um, after talking to the townsfolk in the next day or so, uh, it became obvious that uh, SpaceX was taking credit for what appeared to be a um, unidentified flying object or a UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena, if you prefer. Very interesting sight that we saw. Uh, it was a light in the sky, and it was pushing in front of it. Um, it looked like a cloud or something like this. A very interesting sight to behold. And uh, I've noticed that it's been spotted in the Dallas-Fort Worth area also. So uh, if you see any bright light in the sky that appears to be pushing sort of a dome of, uh, I don't know, vapor in front of it, uh, it might be SpaceX. So if you're in Texas, uh, keep an eye out for that. It's uh, pretty interesting if you see it up there, Steve. At first we were like, oh my gosh, did we just see, is it started? Has Project Blue Beam begun? Are the Space Brothers landing? Yeah, here we go. Go fetch another bottle of bourbon. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you live there in Texas. Elon does all those launches in Texas. Of course, he's down South Texas, but I guess you'd still... You'd still see them in Central Texas. Uh, I know that they did do a launch this past weekend, and and I love this when they do this. It blew up after it after it left the launch pad, but they're still chalking it up as a success. Um, and they and even Elon Musk on X was like going, "Look, the afterburn where it blew up. That's not what we were testing. That's a, that's we'll get there." And no, and and the track record with SpaceX is. You know, you're wanting to roll your eyes like, oh, it blew up. That was a success. And then all of a sudden, next couple of launches, it's spot on perfect. You're like, well, damn, I guess they did learn something. So I hope that's what you saw, for God's sakes. I hope that's what you saw. <laughs> well, no gray, little gray beings landed as far as I know. So uh, I guess we'll take his word for it. Um, Steve, also, you know, we spoke uh, last week about the California Public Utilities Commission. Uh, the outcome of that meeting has come out and the uh, yeah, the CPUC has approved a 13 percent rate hike for Californians that will go into effect on January 1st. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised to see that, Steve, but a little bit disappointed for my Californians out there. Yeah, well, CPUC is only one letter removed from CPC. So there you go. Uh, you would, uh, <laughs> you know or the CCP, whatever. Um, that's just what Californians need. The, the, the most expensive gas in the nation uh, and now the most expensive utilities in the nation. And on top of that, uh, as we were just talking earlier with Chief Jordan, uh, the highest homeless population in the nation. So the Golden State is just swimming right along. Um, and, and and here we go again. Um, it's It's crazy, but did you expect anything less for real? No, I was pretty much waiting on that one, but uh, had to mention it as a follow-up. Also, this is a strange headline. Flight attendant in Chicago unresponsive after vagrant with 21 convictions. 
spears her in the head with a log in a, quote, javelin-like manner, end quote. Uh, wow, that's um, that's frightening. I guess that's our restorative justice program, uh, sort of things we should expect to see in a nation where restorative justice is the way of the walk in blue cities, though. Yeah. Well, now, was this the incident at uh, in Boston at Logan? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, because Logan is really starting, and this is as as the winter months uh, get closer and closer, especially here in the Northeast, Boston decidedly in the Northeast. Um, you're going to see more and more of these homeless folks just camping out in uh, in airports, and I, I don't know what they're going to I don't know what they're going to do about this. But this is uh, so predictable, so obvious, and unfortunately, this flight attendant literally took it in the head from this guy. Uh, who was just probably, uh, you know, so many of these homeless folks have mental issues and whatnot, and uh, it's just tragic. And I, if I were a, if I were flying in or out of Boston, I would be uh, be very mindful of uh, my uh, surroundings while I'm waiting for my bag because apparently the baggage claim area has got homeless encampments at Logan International Airport. So there you go. Welcome to Boston. Yes, and you also have to watch out for Biden administration people that want to steal your luggage uh, for your dress and your Louis Vuitton <laughs> and these sort of things. So, uh, yeah, airports, you got to keep your head on a swivel, unfortunately. And real quickly, Steve, before we go to ruckus, um, I just wanted to flag up that there are um, a number of new J6 videos floating around on social media over yeah. the weekend. And it's not a good look. It is not a good look for the federal government. I've seen uh, what looks like, um, I don't know if they're Capitol Police or who they are, if they're feds or what, but talking like pulling out all the different masks that they have, you know, oh, we dress up like Antifa or, or we dress up like Trump supporters. Uh, I saw one guy have his handcuffs removed by Capitol Police and then given a fist bump by Capitol Police. Uh, so keep an eye on the socials. There's a lot of footage coming out right now, extra J6 footage coming out that is uh, very, very interesting. I got to say, just just, uh, just if I just going to add to that, I posted on uh, a couple of my social accounts a picture that I found off of uh, a Twitter. It was a, it was a, uh, a frame capture, and it shows a guy wearing a MAGA hat uh, and of course, his face was completely covered, too, because that's what you do, you know? Yeah. Um, and he's flashing his tin to a police officer. He's flashing his badge to another cop, a, a Capitol uh, Hill cop. And folks, from, from what I see, pe people are saying that is FBI. That's an FBI badge right there. There it is. That's what it looks like. Uh, and it's uh, it's damning. It's very damning. And I remember when we were met, when we all went down to Memphis and I told you, I think I said to you, I said, I saw Matt Taibbi. He was on my plane and I stopped and I chatted with him. I can only chat with him for a few minutes because he was up in first class and I was uh, back with the crew. But uh, uh, he said, he goes, it's so much worse than people know. And yeah. he was talking about J6 and all the stuff that Twitter helped to bury. So these uh, these uh, videos have been enlightening. Absolutely. You got to do your own research on these because the mass media cartel will not be bringing you these videos, but they are floating around. So do check them out. And if you have an upcoming community event, rally, march, festival or fundraiser that could do with some free publicity, TNT Radio wants to promote it for you. Simply visit our What's on Events calendar on the TNT Radio website and submit your event details and we'll get the word out on TNT Radio. 
There's a lot going on. So it's important to stay informed and up to date. Get ready, because here we go. At the top, 30 minutes past and when it breaks. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. More than 500 employees of the company that created the artificial intelligence chatbot known as ChatGPT have threatened to quit unless all of its board members resign. The latest shakeup at OpenAI after co-founder and CEO Sam Altman was fired. Here with the story, joining us once again is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark. Ruckus, what is going on over at OpenAI this week? Well, we got uh, people quitting or threatening to quit. Um, if other people don't quit, that's basically what's going on. So we've got a, uh, specifically 505 uh, names uh, that are undersigned to a letter that was uh, sent to the leadership of OpenAI, whose board of directors fired Sam Altman on November 17th, just a few days ago, citing the board's loss of confidence in his ability to lead. Shortly after Mr. Altman's ouster, OpenAI president and co-founder Greg Brockman announced his resignation, with the two of them immediately getting snatched up by Microsoft to form a new AI research team. Meanwhile, the majority of the company's 700 or so employees have threatened to follow. Um, Yeah. Isn't that interesting Um, to go work at Microsoft, uh, which they said in the letter that they've all been invited to join. Now, the undersigned, uh, the letter says, quote, we, the undersigned, may choose to resign from OpenAI and join the newly announced Microsoft subsidiary run by Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, uh, end quote. Uh, They added that Microsoft has assured them that there are positions for all of them should they choose to join. Furthermore, the staffers wrote, quote, we will take this step imminently unless all current board members resign. And the board appoints two new lead independent directors, such as Brett Taylor and Will Hurd, and reinstates Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, end quote. Is that a threat? Yeah, that's a threat. Straight up. Uh, The 500 or so OpenAI employees objected to the process by which the board fired Mr. Altman and removed Mr. Brockman from the board, alleging that the move, quote, jeopardized all of this work and undermined our mission and company. They alleged, quote, your conduct has made it clear you did not have the competence to oversee OpenAI, end quote. Yeah. Apparently, this random sudden dismissal of Mr. Altman, who, of course, is a prominent figure in this industry of generative artificial intelligence, came as a shock to many. Um, I've even heard some rumors uh, after this happened that they they gave him an offer to go work at this cryptocurrency project that I'm a fan of called Cardano. But clearly, he's got his eye on the bigger prize of Microsoft. Uh, gentlemen, do you think that this threat uh, to quit will have any effect on the board? Um, is this acceptable? Is this how companies should be acting? Maybe, probably. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, to me, you know, it, it kind of smacks of a company that is in great peril. I mean, this sounds like a massive mutiny. It sounds like uh, Altman and uh, the other guy there, uh, Brockman. Sounds like Altman and, and Brockman are... Uh, for some reason, uh, much beloved by uh, at least 505 employees, and you got to wonder what the corporate uh, what the corporate battlefield looks like here, Steve. You know, Microsoft clearly looking to take all these people on. AI is the big thing right now. Big data is the big thing, and I wager uh, that the AI is one of the key linchpins, one of the long poles in the tent for managing 
big data and viewing big data and profiting from big data. And of course, there's also the nudging, culture jamming, uh, and all the other capabilities of AI. So I don't know. Uh, it's it's definitely it looks like a mutiny to me, though, Steve. Yeah, it sure does. It's very reminiscent of of Apple back in the early days when they voted to oust. Uh, you know, get, get we're we're gonna we're gonna clean the company up. We don't like the direction uh, that it, that it's being taken here. Uh, and they ousted uh, what's his name, the guy that uh, Steve Jobs, and then Jobs uh, came back as the conquering hero. Uh, it doesn't sound like that's going to happen with uh, OpenAI, though. Uh, it looks like the, the big winner here is probably going to end up being uh, Bill Gates, uh, sadly. Um, but I guess Altman has just got kind of got one of those uh, untouchable uh, errors about him, uh, very, very much like a Steve Jobs, and everybody wants to be on his team. Uh, and so here's the board. Uh, be careful what you wish for. You booted him out, and now uh, everybody in th that really matters in that company that's putting all of this software together is ready to jump ship unless all of you are fired. Um, that's like catching a tiger by the tail and then saying, now what? Well, they're about to find out, it sounds like. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I'm I'm also curious, you know, I've, I've looked at a couple write-ups on this, a couple articles, and uh, there, I don't feel like we're getting the uh, the the you know the barometer on these employees uh, is is all they want uh, Brockman and Altman back. Is that the only thing they want, or is there a concern about the new direction of the company? You know, policies, government involvement. You know, there's so many factors involved with this that are not being. Um, you know, it just seems like the write-ups on this are not being forthcoming about what these employees, um, aside from wanting Altman and Brockman back, are actually upset about. And I know that can be a big one, you know, to have your your founders uh, removed like that. But uh, is it just about personalities or is it about policy and direction? That's uh, what I'm wondering. That's a good question. story hey. is... Go that ahead. it's it's allegedly the employees feel that the, the decisions being made by the board are not going to be good for the company all around. So it's almost like a job security thing, I think. But as you mentioned, there is a lot of charisma in some of these companies, especially with these big tech moguls like the Elon Musk's and the Sam Altman's of the world uh, and also Sam Bankman fried But look what happened to him. Um, so yeah, maybe this is a sign of are these like brainwashed cult members, and and they were only working at this company under the the behest of the leadership of their charismatic leader, or did they, as a lot of them in commenting, they truly believed in the product and his ability to move the the company forward so that they can all together be successful. So you know, I guess you could flip a coin since we can't read the minds of these people, but hey, maybe Elon Musk can read their minds soon with his Neuralink. Anyway, just saying. <laughs> well, <laughs> it does seem odd. I mean, it, it, you know what it seems like to me real quick, if I can just add, it, it seems to me as if open AI is in a situation right now where the board is saying one thing and the founder and the employees are saying another thing. The board has been trying to say, look, he's going about this carelessly. He's not looking at all the, uh, the possible uh, risks involved, and he's not responding to our direct communications with him. That's what I read. Now, if there's truth to that, well, maybe there's truth to that. Uh, on the other side of it, it could be the board is just trying to, you know, cut him down at the knees uh, to, to stop his oversized power within the company. Who knows? 
I think you're right, Hesher. I think a lot of us don't know anything. We don't know what we don't know, and that's the problem. Yeah, I kept having the the phrase cult of personality rattling around in my head, and then Ruckus actually invoked the word cult there. So yeah, is it a cult of personality? What's at stake? Uh, what would the company look like with Brockman and Altman back on board? What is you know what what are the details on why the board does not want them? Is there a financial opportunity there, perhaps? Who knows? But I think that we'll shed some more light on this as uh, as it develops a little bit further. And what is going to happen with Microsoft's AI wing? That is a big question also. So, Ruckus, thanks for doing everything you do here at today's News Talk and keeping us up to speed right here on TNT Radio. Pervoy Morich on TNT Radio. Shipping group AP Moller Myers reported a steep drop in third quarter profit and revenue this past weekend and said it would cut at least 10,000 jobs in the face of overcapacity, rising costs, and weaker prices, sending its shares tumbling. So that's shipping. Uh, and, and they control one-sixth of global container trade, transporting goods for a host of major retailers and consumer goods companies, including Walmart and Nike. That can't be good. Meanwhile, over in trucking, trucking employment is contracting the fastest on record this century. Hmm. So shipping, massively cutting jobs, trucking, fastest contraction on record this country. What is going on? Paul Krugman says everything's fine. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Remember that meme? Uh, Leslie Nielsen, I think, is a naked gun. Everything's fine. Meanwhile, in the background, everything is blowing up and burning. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, welcome back to State of the Nation. We're we're thrilled to be back with you and, and welcome our next guest, Adam Goulet. Adam's been on the show before. He's the president of Accuracy and Media. He's also the creator of the quote-unquote doxing truck, though it's not really a doxing truck. We'll explain. Uh, and uh, he's considering forcing the issue beyond college graduation. I noticed the piece in the New York Post this past Saturday, Adam, and your quote is, we don't think that your anti-Semitic record should die when you graduate. I think it's incredibly important to make an example of these people. And perhaps you're considering taking the next step and showing up at these employees' job sites that they get after they graduate. Now, we had John a couple of weeks ago on my program, Adam. First of all, 
Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you today? It's good to see you. I'm doing as well as anybody who can't spend a night in their home because of death threats could possibly be doing. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, well, there you go. And I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, they've accused you of running a doxing truck. And in order to stop you, they've doxed you. Uh, the truck, by the way, doesn't dox anything. It doesn't it doesn't give home addresses. It doesn't give phone numbers, doesn't even give email addresses. It simply is a picture of these students that signed this letter over a month ago now. Um, why don't you pick it up from there? Because your 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 piece in the New York Times or New York Post, rather, this past weekend was very telling about what's going on with you. Why don't you share us uh, the story there, Adam? Sure. You know, we've been doing this for more than a year now. We started at Berkeley Law, more recently at Harvard, Columbia, CUNY Hunter College, CUNY Law School, UPenn. Basically, if you're going to engage in rabid anti-Semitism on a college campus, if you're going to be full of hate and share it with others, we're going to put a frown in your face. So in the case of Harvard, 30 different student groups signed a proclamation blaming Israel entirely for what happened on October 7th. So we found the names and pictures of the leaders of these organizations. They were largely published in the Harvard Crimson. And I figure if the Harvard Crimson could publish your name and photo and that the fact that you run an organization, I could do the same. And we send a mobile billboard to your campus with your name and your picture. And it says that you're one of Harvard's leading anti-Semites. Then we buy your domain name, like amaributler.com, A-M-A-R-I butler.com. We set up a profile page so that the whole world can see what you did and we work with search engine optimization experts so that if anyone were to Google you, that profile page would be the first result or one of the first results. And as I said, they don't end up very happy after that. <laughs> this sounds, I, you know, this sounds like you're using the left's tactics against them and they hate you for it. And ironically, as I mentioned before, you don't actually dox them. You never give out personal info. None of them are having to worry about sleeping in their own own homes. Uh, and yet here you are. Uh, you do. How did they dox you? Who doxed you? And what kind of threats have you been getting? Yeah, and what you say is so exactly correct. We would never share anyone's private information. But they share mine and my wife's on social media day in, day out. And yet I still talk to these reporters and they ask me questions like, well, don't you think doxing is wrong? And I'm like, yeah, can you get them to stop it? And they're like, well, we mean you're doxing. And I'm like, I haven't doxed anybody. Are you going to even inquire a little bit about the threats to my life or the doxing or the nine swatting calls I've had? But basically for three weeks now, since we started at Harvard, I've been getting death threats nearly every day. My parents, my wife, one of my staffers, they get harassed all day, all night on social media, via email, on the phone. I, as I said, nine times I've been swatted. The first one, they called my local law enforcement and said I had a gun to my wife's head. So at 2.30 in the morning, the neighbors loved this, a half dozen heavily armed officers came to my home with rifles and body armor. Thankfully, they got a code to get inside, a door code, so they didn't have to bash down the door. Had I been home, had I not been expecting a half a dozen SWAT team members to show up, had I moved the wrong way, I might have been killed. But when I talk to the media, they're only concerned about hypothetical violence against Palestinian sympathizers. And to my knowledge, thankfully, no violence against them has occurred. Very interesting to see this happen. Have you dealt with this before uh, all this came out? Because I know through your work, you've been unpopular with certain groups of people. You've been pointing out the 
uh, cultural Marxism in colleges for some time now. And this this uh, swatting tactic is uh, nothing new. We've seen Tim Pool get swatted up to 11 times or something like that. I mean, this is Tell him I'm a, coming for him. I'm only two away. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. You're you're catching up here. You're catching up. But did this ever happen to you before the current conflict became, uh, the, you know, the main thing that people are thinking about? Did this happen before that? You know, I've had mild things. When we were at Berkeley Law last November, uh, somebody threw a rock at our truck and people threatened me a little bit. And I've gotten social media harassment and whatnot. But I've never gotten emails from people who say they want to put a Hamas bullet through my head. I didn't know Hamas had their own bullets, but uh, they, they say they want to put a Hamas bullet through my head. I've never had people harassing my parents, my wife, one of my staffers. My, my parents got swatted once as well, by the way, which is just wild. Uh, but we've never had anything like this previously. It all started with Harvard and it really escalated over the weekend, Thursday through Saturday. We went at Yale and that really ignite, reignited the death threats that I've been getting online too. Uh, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. We've gone after radical leftists before, but these Hamas sympathizers are a whole new a whole new level of hate. I noticed that on your um, on the piece in the New York Post, Adam, you lay the blame for this for not just the tactics, but the anti-Semitism, which is rising and rampant uh, across college campuses and universities, not just in the states. It's happening all over the place now. Uh, but you you lay a lot of the blame for this at at DEI education tactics and try this diversity equity inclusion crap which is basically oppressor versus oppressed victim versus victimizer and uh it, that, is that where you think all of this this kind of bs comes from i mean i'll tell you i've been in over 250 k through 12 school districts in the past year or two undercover which is a lot considering i don't have kids and I heard this stuff in the horse's mouth again and again and again from administrators, from curriculum directors, from equity officers. You summed it up well. The DEI framework is a whole oppressor versus oppressed mindset. And shockingly, Jews somehow got put in the oppressor bracket. It's like, have these people cracked the history book? My gosh, they're con so concerned with books and with history. Look at the history of the Jews. There's never been a group that's been oppressed as much as these people. It's crazy, or very few groups, I should say, oppressed as much as these people. Yet because they're successful, because Jews represent Western civilization, classical liberal values of freedom, individually, individual liberty, free enterprise, well, they get put in the oppressor bracket, and they're the ones to hate. Whereas those who sympathize with Hamas and Islamic Jihad and the Palestinian Authority, they're oppressed. It's so hard and difficult being a horrible terrorist shooting rockets at shopping malls every day like they do in the Gaza Strip. And it comes directly from that. You know, DEI, it's cultural Marxism. It's people who realize they couldn't get America to embrace communism with class warfare. So instead, they use race warfare. All right. Our guest is Adam Goulet. And uh, Adam, we're going to take a real quick break. He's the president of the Ac of Accuracy and Media. Just to get a real quick break uh, and get a headline here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio News. I've got news for you, baby. I've got news for you, baby. News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The UK government cannot guarantee any Rwanda deportation flights will take off before the next UK general election, which polling claims the governing conservatives are likely to lose, suggesting the policy is unlikely to ever happen. 
Spain's Pedro Sanchez was re-elected as prime minister by the nation's parliament on Thursday when he leveraged a controversial amnesty deal to get the critical support from Catalan separatists to stay in power. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right. All right. We're listening we are, to we State of the Nation. Sorry there, Steve. I mean to step on you. This is State of the Nation, and uh, we're very pleased to be joined by Adam Goulet. Uh, Adam, you know, as I'm looking at this, um, forgive me if this sounds cynical, but when I look at our college system, I personally and many that I've spoken to have just given up on it. Uh, our colleges are busy indoctrinating people with Marxist-style worldviews, um, and they're teaching people to look at the world through the lens of oppression. Everything is about oppression. Everything is about power dynamics. Very little talk about principles. And when there are talks about principles, it's back through that lens of oppression. You know, they, they, you know, people send their, their kids to college and their kids come back and it's like all of a sudden the social relationships, the family relationships, uh, male-female relationships, political topics, race relations, they're all viewed through this prism of power. You know, they think that business itself, the free market is a form of oppression. They think that family uh, is a form of oppressive patriarchy. So it's like all history is viewed through oppressor versus oppressed, this very myopic sort of uh, dialectic, right, of good guys and bad guys. And, and this has inculcated a, a moral righteousness um, on the extreme left regressive movement. So um, are we surprised to see this, you know? I mean, on any conflict, when I compare what we're seeing right now to say the Ukrainian conflict, uh, I noticed that the media in lockstep for both sides were like, hey, we're on this side, this is the good side. But now that's not the case this time. So, I mean, it's kind of not surprising to a lot of people to see uh, this sort of reaction in the colleges and then to see the, the counter reaction that you're getting for pointing it out. Yeah, and that's a great point. You know, I volunteer for a group called the Leadership Institute. And for about 20 years, I've spent my weekends training conservative and libertarian and freedom-oriented activists on college campuses. I've done it in 48 states, two Canadian provinces, Mexico City a few times. And every campus I show up at, they say the same thing. Adam, you don't know what it's like here. It's incredibly progressive and, you know, this and that. And they don't let conservatives do anything, blah, 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 blah. That's literally every campus. People think, oh, my, my alma mater's not like that. Well, unless you went to Liberty or Hillsdale, yeah, your alma mater's like that. And whereas previously everyone would, be, would bemoan the radical professors, these days, for my money, I'm less worried about them because the students are more radical than the professors. Heck, the students try to get some of the left-wing professors fired because they might now and then say something rational and uh, aren't quite as progressive as they are. It's K through 12 that's the true problem. And that's what really bothers me when you see governors like DeSantis and Abbott make an effort to defund DEI in the university level. Great, that sounds good. But not on the K through 12 level. If you cannot justify DEI for colleges, why the heck is it in kindergarten? And at the end of the day, having seen this stuff firsthand, I know even if they defund it on the university level, they'll still have it. They'll just put another label on it. 
But politicians like Abbott are more than happy to simply placate voters and pretend to be doing something when they're not really accomplishing anything at all. In colleges, I don't think the professors has, have as much influence as we like to assign them. Who's got influence? Influencers. That's why they got the name. And it's on social media. It's people in the culture who push these 18 to 22 somethings even further left than they were when they arrived. You know, I, I remember, Adam, years ago when uh, Jerry Seinfeld uh, said uh, back in the 90s, he, he goes, I won't even play colleges anymore. He goes, because it doesn't matter what jokes I tell, I'm going to offend a good chunk of them. He goes, it, it, there, there's no, you know, there's no free speech there anymore. He said that back in the late 90s. It has gotten, especially given the 24-7 news loop we're in, the uh, the clicks and likes and shares on social media, the TikTok, the reels, all this stuff. It has gotten, pardon the term, progressively and oppressively worse than it ever was, no? Exponentially worse. But I really more fear uh, at that age group the influencers and the people in the culture. These days, and I think for most of us in college, we didn't love our professors. That was the jerk who gave us homework. What did we do during class? Maybe a crossword puzzle. Today, in class, and the professor is lecturing on whatever crazy lefty idea he's talking about that day, half the kids are on their phone. That's where the influence comes from. And the left realizes that. You know, the DNC got caught red-handed paying a social media influencer to propagandize children on behalf of Joe Biden. That's the kind of stuff that really makes me outraged. If you're a crazy lefty on social media espousing your own views, fine, I disagree with you, but more power to you. That's fine. But to hire children to propagandize children like the DNC does, that's outrageous. Yeah, we've seen that at the corporate level too. Corporations, politicians, international politicians, NGOs. I mean, um, phar pharmaceutical companies, we saw a similar thing during COVID, you know, uh, people being paid massive amounts of money to get in there. I mean, this is, you're right, this is a world that seems to be more and more and more um, culture jammed by influencers and ambassadors. And it seems as though the power structures, all the power structures have realized it and are now starting to shell out cash um, to push the influence that they want. And it's just amazing how it, if if a, a, it doesn't matter what the issue is, if it's hashtagable, if it causes outrage, boom, you've got your dialectic and there's money to be made. There's political capital to be made and influence to be had. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that we have such an incredibly fragmented media landscape, whereas 20 years ago, NBC might try to go after a broad audience of a variety of ideologies, even though they were biased, they would still try to go for all of Americans. They don't try that anymore. Pretty much every media outlet realizes the landscape is so fragmented, they're just going to go for a narrow sliver of an audience and try to tell that audience what they want to hear. So the only people these days who on a large scale speak to a broad cross section of ideologies are people we like for reasons other than their ideology. Actors, um, you know, musicians and artists, uh, athletes, they now have an outsized level of influence because it's one of the few times that many people will exit their echo chamber and expose themselves to someone who doesn't share their viewpoint. So that's what I, why I get really mad when sports get politicized, when, you know, musicians are being exceptionally political, things like that, because these folks now have the greatest level of political influence within our society. Uh, it is it is so unbelievably scary.
And it is, and Asher, I think you bring up a great point. It it, it is the thing that's so it, it, diabolical about it is it's obviously planned. It's obviously uh, pushed in this direction. Well, listen, Adam, uh, we want to thank you for stopping by the show today. Uh, uh, where's what's the website again? Just before we have to wrap it up. Sure, aim.org, aim.org, and we are active in every social media platform, even TikTok. Uh, aim.org is the website. There you go. Adam Goulet, God bless you, sir. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to chatting with you again. Have a, have a wonderful day. Thank you guys for having me. There he goes. You got it. All right, that's Adam Goulet. You're listening to State of the Nation with Steve Hook and Brian hesher McLean, and we'll be back. The climate agenda is a national security risk. Where do you hear this? From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to instant refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education, and do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. Interviews, news, and views. This is State of the Nation with Steve Hook and Brian McLean. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And in case you're living under a rock, BitChute is a video hosting and social media platform, and it is a good one. And BitChute is calling on Representative Jim Jordan, Republican from Ohio, to investigate the deplatforming of Parler, another social media website popular with conservatives as part of his House panel on government weaponization. Joining us now is the BitChute CPO, Amy Peekoff. Amy, welcome back to State of the Nation. We're very pleased to have you back again. Now, you've had some choice words for the censorship industrial complex and government and big tech, and now you're calling for what happened to Parler to be looked at by the House panel on government weaponization, which we think is great news. So, so tell us, um, First, maybe we have a lot of new listeners all the time. So first, maybe tell us what happened to Parler briefly and then walk us to this effort right now going towards getting this matter onto the House docket for the panel on government weaponization. 
Sure. So as I understand, actually, Parler, the website is back online as of this last weekend as a news website. I have not gone to look myself. I can't really bring myself to do it. But I was chief policy officer for Parler when it was a competitor of Twitter, an up and coming competitor of Twitter. And in particular, throughout 2020, and then in the first part of 2021, Parler was doing really well, gaining millions of users, was at a couple points in time, number one on the app store charts, really giving Twitter a run for its money. And then in the basically second week of January 2021, just days after the alleged insurrection on the Capitol, um, Parler was taken down by Amazon, by Apple, by Google. And I happen to know from being in on the inside of Parler and knowing the sorts of efforts that we were making in the weeks leading up to the 6th of January, that we were unfairly scapegoated and that the you know the deplatforming was unjust. Um, and so, of course, I've always thought it needed to be looked into. It took us months to get back online. By the time we did get back online, you had Getter, you had True Social, and it was really hard to ever gain momentum again, right? Uh, Parler was taken offline back in April, and that's when I jumped over and joined the team at BitChute, for which I'm very grateful. This is Thanksgiving week, and it's one of the things that I'm thankful for this year is being able to join the team over at BitChute, which is a video sharing platform. But it is the policy is in the same spirit. It's nonpartisan, free speech oriented. Basically, if it's legal or if it doesn't interfere with actually doing business in a smooth way, you can say it on the platforms, right? So, you know, what we've seen with the Twitter files, right? is that there was a lot of government nudging, let us say, of social media platforms and other big tech companies to deplatform or censor Americans. And Jim Jordan and his weaponization committee have done a good job uncovering a lot of that with respect to individuals. They released a report a couple of weeks ago in which they talk about I think probably some of their favorite individuals. So it's Donald Trump and Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Newt Gingrich. And um, I think, uh, no, not, um, I'm trying to, I'm, other politicians, right, that I can't think of off the top of my head. But, you know, a lot of their favorites are all listed there as individuals. And then they say, and millions of other Americans of all different, you know, and but there's no mention of Parler anywhere in this. So you go in there and you search and there's not even a mention of Parler. And what people don't realize is that in one fell swoop in the second week of January 2021, millions of deplatform, you know, millions of Americans of all political affiliations, et cetera, were deplatformed at this one point. And in the Twitter files, there are clues to this. There is a screenshot that I included as an attachment with the letter showing a Twitter executive talking to Yoel Roth, the other Twitter executive is unnamed, and he's calling for Parler to, quote, pay a price for its supposed role in fomenting the insurrection on the Capitol, et cetera, which, again, has been debunked many times afterwards, given what Parler's efforts were during that time period. So um, there's that. In conjunction with discussion in the Twitter files, and that we've also seen, thanks to the questioning by Rand Paul, that we know 
government agents, law enforcement were meeting regularly with representatives of these top big tech law, uh, big tech co uh, corporations during that time period discussing the alleged threats and et cetera. We know that Amazon was asking the former CEO of Parler, one of the founders, uh, John Mates, whether Trump was coming over to Parler because Trump was rumored to be coming over to Parler. There's plenty of leads there to infer that there may have been the same sort of coordinated efforts between government and big tech companies in the deplatforming of millions of Americans at once, you know, time on Parler that was going on into those individual cases. And so all I'm doing is I'm calling on Jim Jordan and weaponization to look at it. Uh, Jordan's been doing some media in conjunction with the report that they released. And he went on Dan Bongino's show and he told Dan Bongino that one of the best ways to make sure that this doesn't happen again is to expose it. So let's expose this. Let's make sure that it doesn't happen again to your favorite platform that is sort of free speech. Probably X is his, right? But mine happens to be BitChute at the moment because I know that it really stands for free expression. I'm not so sure about that Musk place all the time, right? So, um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Your favorite platform could be unfairly deplatformed the same way. Ask you this because it's a big question, I know, but but it's one that I think that a lot of people are kind of tossing around in the back of their brain. This all seems so utterly coordinated. Uh, you mentioned the Twitter files. Twitter files kind of underscored that it was, in fact, uh, coordinated. And it would be bad enough if it were big tech and big government working in collusion with each other, hand in glove. But then you throw in big media, who obviously is going to cheerlead for their particular side, which in this instance would be big government and big tech. And it almost seems it's not even David versus Goliath. It's David versus about a dozen Goliaths at one time. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and and I don't know how you get and then of course we hell we could even throw in academia into the into the mix here. How do we as a nation and as a as, as a free loving liberty loving people uh get around all of these Goliaths? I mean I guess Jordan's gonna do what he can do, but do you have faith that the Committee Against the Weaponization of Government. Well, and I, I don't know that Jordan's going to do anything. I haven't heard a peep from them. And I emailed, of course, the letter directly to the staff assistant that you're supposed to send these things to over there. Uh, I happen to know that they are aware of it, and I've heard no peep, and we haven't seen anything. And so as I say in the letter, um, you know, it could be the case that having Parler just go quietly down the memory hole, and with it, the idea that a main way of handling this problem of censorship on platforms is through competition. Parler was competing. Parler was saying, hey, you don't like Twitter? Everybody said, go start your own platform. We did. We were giving them a run for their money. And then this unjust thing happened. Normally, I would leave this to free market competition. We know that government has been involved in various ways with this issue. I just want to see if it does extend to Parler. You know, Stanford did some reports. There was this uh, Facebook-funded entity called Graphica, G-R-A-P-H-I-K-A, -A, that was, you know, leaking stuff to the Washington Post that was publishing it. And then since it's been doing the same thing to True Social, what is going on here? And we would like to prevent it from happening again. We want 
competition on a free market, at the very least, we want our rights protected. We don't want government violating our rights. Yeah, you know, I that used to be so frustrating to me when I would hear that start your own platform trope. I mean, that that was just, are you kidding me? Like, you you know what goes into starting a, an enterprise-level platform like this that's open to the, the global public. This isn't something... Mm -hmm anyone can just go and do it takes teams of people teams of professionals with experience in enterprise management enterprise it management and and much more marketing the whole the whole kit and caboodle it's all very difficult and as you pointed out parlor goes out there and does that they show what it takes you know it takes professionals like you and your colleagues that were there and 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 then j6 comes along uh this major catalyzing event and I think, I don't know, I, I want to get your opinion on this, but to me, it seems like J6 was the catalyzing event for this deplatforming, although it was all, Parler was already sort of a, you know, a, a thorn in the side of the narratives. But I think the fact that this happened to, to you and your colleagues and all of your users shows the just how important the J6 narrative was to the government, I, I, I you know, I, I could say the DNC, I could say the FBI, but I'm just going to say the government at this point, because it certainly seems that way, especially this week, as we're seeing new footage coming out of Capitol Police, you know, uh, doing insane things that don't fit the narrative, like fit, taking handcuffs off people and fist bumping them as they pull their badge out and flash it. Yeah, so I have not analyzed the footage. I've seen little snippets circulating here and there, and some of it definitely looks like it needs to be looked into. Some things I'm not sure if there was an actual timeline that was solid that was released with all of this footage or if it's this dump that you have to kind of sort and try to figure out for yourself. Uh, I start to wonder in the end, you know, again, with the lack of response from Jordan, his committee and everybody else, whether we need a real outsider like a Vivek Ramaswamy to get in there and actually release the state action files that he's promised. And maybe we're not going to get any satisfaction about any of this really until that happens, right? Um, I, I think that he is motivated to untangle exactly what the truth is. And he doesn't have, as far as I know, any ties or dependencies or whatever that's going to prevent him from looking at the whole thing. As I said, I'm starting to get skeptical of Jordan with his lack of, of response there. Yeah. It's, it's, so in other words, you're, you're kind of effectively, Amy, asking for a, uh, a, a pseudo special counsel to look at this. Somebody, an outside observer, nonpartisan. Uh, I mean, Vivek is partisan in his own in a political sense, but somebody that was not involved with um with with parlor was not involved with twitter was not involved with the government to look at it i remember when parlor was blowing up on the app stores i remember it because there were news reports my god it's the most downloaded app of the last week and a half mm -hmm. and you get these stories all the time and then all of a sudden like you said it's like a switch and to hesher's point j6 did seem to be the catalyst and kind of the uh you know the the uh the patriot act moment uh for them to pull this kind sure. of stunt and you know, boom, I think they, their motivation really was that they wanted to make sure Trump did not have anywhere to go, no viable platform where he would have any significant audience. And so that's why I bring up the parallels with the Graphica and the Truth Social. There's a December 2022 article that I saw, you know, where Graphica is sending out this stuff about how Truth Social isn't moderated enough or whatever in the world it is. 
And I think they're trying to lay the groundwork if true social doesn't go south because of its own financial troubles or otherwise, you come into this election season, they do not want Trump to have a platform. I don't want to vote for Trump either. But what I do know is regardless, if he's taken off air or offline by those same sorts of mechanisms where it's collusion between people in the government and big tech, no bueno. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and isn't it, I mean, isn't it just better for a free society, better for America, for citizens, politicians, whomever, to have a a free place where they can speak freely and let their views be known, even if we don't like them, even if they're awful, if they're legal, if they're not illegal forms of speech, does it not benefit all of us to know, to have the know what that person thinks about these things rather than for a government to just come along and say that's mean speak or that's you know terrible for xyz reason so it cannot be heard i mean this is antithetical to our entire framing of this country how do they expect people to sort of you know meld the differences or or mend the differences that we have in society if we're not even allowed to fully understand what the other people think because it's always delivered to you in either an amplified way right through these engagement enhancing algorithms where they amplify certain things in your feed to try to get you all engaged in their platform i think that's one type of distortion that makes the problem worse or it's censored, right? I mean, I have the case, I I have someone who is a mutual follow on X and the poor guy, I don't even see his responses to me in my notifications. I follow the guy, he's bought a premium plus subscription and I'm still not engaging in conversations with him. I'm missing them unless I go actively and look for them. It's ridiculous what these algorithms do to manipulate and get in between and make sure that you can't have these conversations that would help us to understand each other and heal division in the country. Yeah. It's, it's almost like that's the whole point, isn't it, Amy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you're supposed almost- to, you're supposed to be tied to this, you know, very addicted to your dopamine reactions and everything else, but you're not supposed to be able to really engage as a human being, you know, Omegle, which unfortunately I wasn't even so familiar with recently went offline. And then I hear about what a cool concept it was. Some people would, you know, prank it or whatever, but the whole idea was you actually talk to a real person and have a conversation. Imagine, and it's just random. It's purely random. And you know, you have people connecting. I think being able to actually really connect in ways you know authentic ways with human beings is is you know discouraged these days and we, we need more of it if we're going to fix a lot of the problems yeah absolutely and bitshoot is a great place to do that bitshoot will not censor you as it's it's a wonderful platform um and we really want to we're coming up with more ways to do it too right because it's not your you know sort of microblogging platform such as x or whatever 
but we do have now chat boxes with respect to different videos. We're doing live streams and you're going to be able to get involved in a live stream and chat in real time with each other and then also with the hosts of the live stream. So we are getting more of that. Uh, we're integrating that as we go along. If you want to support our efforts in doing that, come to bitshoot.com, become a member, etc. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Amy Peacock, we always appreciate your views here and thank you for everything you're doing, trying to get this into that house committee. Best of luck with that. We'll have you back for an update real soon. Again, find Amy. Mm -hmm.